Hey everyone, welcome back to Tooth and Claw. On today's episode, we've actually kind of got a lot going on, so we're going to start with our regular monthly animal attack news roundup, where we take some of the more notable animal encounter and attack headlines and news stories from the past couple of months and discuss them a little bit. And then afterwards, we have this really fascinating interview, actually, with a listener of the show. Her name is Clara Jessup, and she had a really interesting encounter with a venomous snake, and she goes over the details of not just the attack, but all the craziness that follows an attack that we just thought would be a really interesting insight into, you know, start to finish what some of these attacks can look like. And we learned a lot, and we just thought it would be really, really cool to share with all of you her experience. So without any further ado, let's get to some animal attacks. We hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone. Hey Wes. Hi Wes. Hey, how's it going guys? Never better. <laughs> Dang good. Never better? Never. Never better. Never in once? In your entire life? Nope. I had a good week working in Yellowstone. Yeah? Um, Why? Just lots of stuff. Something I'm going to talk about a little later too that wasn't necessarily good but was interesting. You're the king of teasers, you know? Oh, I love teasing. I love teasing away. Can you just tell us now? Um, no, well, I'll, it's going to be one of my news stories. But I'm ready. Well, I'm not. Okay. So, yeah. Fine. We got we got a special news episode today. It's special because we've got our typical news stories, but much more truncated. We're just doing like one or two each. Uh, I have a couple headlines actually, so I've got like a few more, but it's going to be quicker than normal because we have a listener who was in a pretty serious animal encounter who um, reached out to us, wanted to tell us their story. We talked to her. It's a crazy story. And we actually invited her on to tell it. And it's interesting. It's a really cool story to us because uh, some of the information from the podcast actually helped her to make some pretty critical decisions in her whole recovery process. And it's it feels nice to help people, I think, just in general. Don't you guys agree with that? It's nice to help people sometimes in general. No. <laughs> no? Uh-uh. You don't like helping people? Actually, there was one time I helped someone... Just with like some yard work, yeah. and then they gave me money afterwards. So that, that felt good. Case I was pretty happy about it. Okay, I don't know if that counts as much, but no, that's not altruistic would, behavior. Yeah, which we talked about recently. All right, back to the episode. Yeah, let's do some news stories. What do you guys think? Sure. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Mike, are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. Who wants to start? I want to start. Can I start? All right. Yeah. I got a good one. I've got a whale of a story, you could say. Ooh, okay. <laughs> uh, back on May 14th of this year, that being the year of 2022. Right. May 4th? No. May 14th. 14th. Uh, yeah, so it's not Star May Wars Day. May the 14th Day. be with you. <laughs> not quite the same. Close. Okay. So this happened down in the port town of Topolo Bampo in Mexico. And you guys, I wanted to, I, I thought this would be a cool place to start because you guys were recently down in Mexico whale watching. We were. So there's a small whale watching vessel out on the water with four passengers when all of a sudden a juvenile humpback whale launched itself out of the water and just completely body slammed the boat. Took oh, it out geez. entirely. 
And there's actually footage of it. I'll share the link with everyone, but it's really crazy because it looks like if the whale had planned, it couldn't have done it better than it did to just yeah. basically capsize this boat. Maybe it did plan it. Maybe it did. And that's the question because there's some speculation whether these passengers, these whale watchers were harassing the whale. Whatever the case was, though, they were way too close to this whale. And you're not allowed to get well, that. Well, especially uh, like after the whale landed on the boat, they were... Definitely yeah, too close. <laughs> a little too close. <laughs> there's uh, there's rules for approaching whales that are like marine mammals rules that are pretty much international. And you're not allowed to approach within a certain distance. You can imp- approach and then stop your boat. And if the whale decides to approach you, that's allowed. But you can't approach the whale further than I think it's like 100 yards or something. I can't remember. But mm. yeah. The aftermath of this encounter, I guess we can call it, this body slamming, one of the women had a broken leg and like severe traumatic injuries to her head. Jeez. Uh, One of the men also had some serious injuries to the head and broken ribs. And according to one of the onlookers, they said this boat was just basically totaled and they saw just bent metal everywhere and blood all over the passenger seating. And they're not sure if this is from the humans or from the whale. But in any case, this is turning into a whole thing because not only could this turn into like these people were harassing and ultimately injured a whale, but they were also out on the water without, I want to get this term right, they didn't have the mandatory navigation license plate and none of them were wearing life preservers either. So they're facing some pretty hefty fines as well as having gotten body slammed by a a whale (laughs) so pretty terrible day yeah i just want to i want to wrap this up with a quote from a guy his name's gerardo vargas he's the mayor of ahome i think is how you say it please do not get too close to the whales we can enjoy their beauty but at a distance so great quote i i just can't imagine what that would be like to see right off the deck of your ship a giant whale launch out and it click in your brain that it's about to land on you (laughs) yeah Yeah. pretty wild you'd be like oh well (laughs) that's probably what you (laughs) would be like um okay well i'll go next i'm gonna do just a couple really quick short things that happened one that was really tragic staff sergeant seth michael plant who's 30 years old was killed by a, a bear mauling in anchorage alaska Uh, There's very little details about this one, but I did think it's one that we should bring up because people being killed by bears doesn't happen that often. It's likely that him and some other people on the army base were out training. It's a huge army base that covers hundreds of acres, and um, there's often bears on the property. And apparently they think it was a grizzly bear and that him and his friends got too close to the den. And the bear came out and mauled him to death. And one of the other guys was injured. It's still being investigated. So... That was my really quick bear story. Jeff, do you have a news story you want to do? And then I'll go into my other ones afterwards. Can I ask you a question about that, actually, Wes? Yeah. So yeah. when someone gets mauled to death by a bear, what is kind of the average amount of time it takes for the person to die? It really depends on the type of mauling. Like this one sounds, I mean, it's still under investigation, but it sounds like it was a female defending cubs or, or potentially even a den site. And in that case, it's going to be a really aggressive, really intense threat neutralizing kind of attack where it was probably a really quick way to die because the bear just comes out guns blazing, you know, hits him with everything. The bear had guns? No. But, <laughs> uh, and that's typically like the ones that happen really fast and can lead to a really quick outcome. And I doubt that this attack lasted more than like a few seconds, but probably just like ripped a femoral artery or tore his throat open or something, you know, smashed his skull. There's a lot of things that could happen. 
If it's like a predatory attack, they can take a really long time. You think of Cynthia Dussel Bacon's story where the black bear like sat on her and ate her arms off, yeah, you know, I don't like and that. that could have lasted hours and hours. I wouldn't like that to happen to me. So it really depends on the type of attack. <laughs> but these these territorial like grizzly attacks where it's defending cubs or a surprise encounter or whatever tend to be really quick but really, really devastating. And that's why I'm always saying we should allow grizzly bears and black bears to enlist in the military. (laughs) Get them on our side. Right to bear arms. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Mike, like you were saying, we could have bears with guns, and that would be so scary. That's what we need. We need a more intense military presence (laughs) over here. Uh, All right, Jeff, you want to go? Yeah. On April 11th, a man in Uganda fought and killed a male lion with his bare hands. No. Okay. That came into his house. How does that sound to you, Wes? Uh, It sounds pretty unbelievable, but I'm not going to totally discount it. Mm. After saying that 5,000 dogs had been killed by monkeys in India, I started looking into these things a little bit closer. (laughs) That's good. And I was like, that doesn't seem very possible for this guy to just kill like and i saw pictures of the lion it's a big male lion okay did he have a bear named hands maybe (laughs) killed him with his bare hands like his bare hands (laughs) with his bare comma hans hans Hans, it's german i didn't look into that (laughs) um so that makes more sense and there's a picture of him after this lion attacked him and the area he was in looked like impoverished We'll say. Yeah. But he just has like a cardboard arm and like two eye patches and then just like all these random bandages. But then he was like, you could see like open slash wounds still and like he's bleeding on the ground. Wait, rewind a little what bit. What the heck? He's got a cardboard arm and two yeah. eye patches. Like a splint or his like arm is cardboard? After being attacked by the lion, this is how they patched him up. With cardboard and two eye patches. Yeah. Interesting. Like both <laughs> eye patches on his eyes, I am assuming. Yeah, but like one of them's like kind of hanging off so you can see out Whoa. of his eye, okay. but like halfway. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. So what'd you de- what'd you sleuth so, out? What'd you determine? So then I saw an article that said that the lion like went into his house and started attacking him, and he found a weapon and like hit it as hard as he could in the head, and it instantly died. Okay, and I was like, okay, that's a little more believable, but still if not a lot like of detail, and like a that broad seems kind of hard to kill a lion with one hit. Yeah. So then... I want to know what the weapon is. I found a video that said, man in Uganda kills lion with bare hands, fake. So I was like, well, okay. let's <laughs> listen to this, you know? Yeah. Because, like, if you search it, lion, man in Uganda, the first yeah. 20 articles are him killing it with his bare hands. Uh, right. Okay. So then I listened to it, and apparently... That didn't happen at all. This lion came into the village and, like, really injured three different people. And then the police were called and the military came. And they went out looking for the lion. And they just wanted to, like, capture it and relocate it. But then, like, all these, like, people that lived in the town were angry about their fellow people having been attacked. So they all had machetes and, like, different weapons and were going out to, like, find the lion to try to kill it. 
Yeah. And like the group kept getting bigger and bigger. So then the military decided that they were just going to kill it because if they didn't, these other, like the people weren't listening to them and they were going to get attacked. Oh, okay. So then they went and found it and this guy in the military shot at it and it didn't say whether he hit it or not, but the lion went and mauled him after he shot it and like got him pretty good. And then his other military person came and shot it and saved him and killed the lion. And he's the guy. Yeah. And sorry, there was there was one name that they used for like everyone, Ua. So that that was the name of the person. And then they wanted to like preserve the lion carcass, but the whole village just took it from them and ate huh. the lion. So it but should they be were able the to title, keep the head. The headline should be man plus entire military <laughs> managed to kill lion <laughs> yeah. with help of an entire village as well. But with weapons. If you okay. want to look up the picture, you can tell this guy got got pretty messed up. Yeah, he is that is a cardboard arm, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. How how is my description? Yeah. <laughs> I, the eye patches, I would say those are more bandages than eye patches, right? But the yeah, rest of that's, it, I that's fair. pretty. But yeah, they pretty are over on. his eye, and they're patches. Yeah. yeah, sure. I was picturing like two pirate eye patches. Yeah, that's I what was I was like, thinking too. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have yeah. been fun. More so than just like he did get pretty messed up. Yeah, and I do think like maybe there's a possibility the lion went into his house and he was able to like at least fight it out of his house, which is yeah. still like he pretty... doesn't look like if someone were to have killed a lion with their bare hands, that's not. The person I would picture. <laughs> Who would you picture? Uh, like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I, see, I was yeah, thinking like '90s Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah someone like, like that. Well, that was some uh, good internet investigation. You got to the bottom yeah, of that. Good job, Jeff. Way to really dig. Yeah. And then I just have a couple of headlines, but I can do those next round. Okay. So I'm gonna do a little Coyotes Be Wildin', if that's okay. Oh, yeah. You stole it. You can you can steal it. I'll come up with Is a new it? one. I didn't know if it was Jeff exclusive or not. <laughs> you didn't copyright no, it or I, anything, Jeff? I am going to do a little Coyotes Be Wyland. It's right. a category Jeff started uh, <laughs> a while ago. Are they still Wyland? Uh, they're Wyland. They're Wyland a lot these days. Constantly. There's multiple coyote incidents that happened, and some of them were pretty serious and actually got a lot of news coverage. We had them sent to us. A toddler was attacked by a coyote in a Huntington Beach on April 29th. There's a video of this attack. No way. And it's pretty compelling. Huntington Beach? It's pretty common to have coyotes on that beach. They're eating, like, food that people left behind, trash. Yeah. What the heck? um, Surfing. In this video, there's, like, a surf camera that's set up to monitor their surf conditions. And you see this little family and, like, the woman and I think another child and another woman are all standing down by the surf. And their toddler is sitting behind them on the sand. And a coyote walks up to this toddler, knocks it over, proceeds to bite its face, wrestle with it. There's about a 15-second struggle. And then the kid manages to free itself from the coyote. And it, like, walks down to these other adults. And at the very end of the video, you see, like, what I think is the mom turn around and see her kid. And, like, you don't really see her face or anything, but you have to imagine she's like, (laughs) "Wow, wait, what what just (laughs) happened? Yeah. Uh, Coyote runs off. They did close down the beach. The cops went out there. They killed two two coyotes, and they do know that they got the coyote that was responsible for this attack. Um, Neither of those coyotes tested positive for, um, for rabies, yeah, but they could take the DNA off the girl. They could take the DNA off the coyote. They got the right coyote. What about the other one? 
Uh, that was just unfortunate coyote that happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. The girl had serious but not life-threatening injuries and in a very similar incident. So that happened on April 29th. On May 3rd, um, the day before May 4th, Jeff, um, <laughs> there was another toddler, another two-year-old toddler sitting on his porch in a suburb of Dallas, Texas, when a second coyote ran up to him and attacked him. Uh, the, an, another coyote, obviously not the same coyote as the California attack. This was 8.30 in the morning. It rushed up to him. It attacked him. A nearby eyewitness said that little boy was sitting on his front porch and the animal came right up to the porch unfazed and attacked him. It showed no fear. Uh, and then it kind of hung out in the area when all the EMTs and everything showed up. But Dallas Animal Services does say that residents in the neighborhood had been feeding that coyote and even petting it. It was shot. It escaped into some nearby woods and wasn't recovered. The boy's wounds had already been cleaned by the parents, so they couldn't test for rabies. But apparently, they're not worried about rabies anymore. All the articles I read said that he was in critical condition following the attack. But from what I could gather, it does seem that he's making a full recovery. Wow. Really quickly on both of these. Oh, and I did forget a quote from the California one. This is a really good quote from an eyewitness. There was like a coyote right around here. We saw it. And then all of a sudden it went in like this family. And then there was like a kid on the ground. And then like five minutes later, we walked back. Whole crowd around a baby. Baby have evidently got like bit. And there was just blood all over its face. Wow. <laughs> Very California. A couple things I just want to bring up really quickly. We've talked about one of the only recorded fatalities from a coyote attack, that folk singer in Nova Scotia. The other one was a little girl in Southern California. There's only two recorded fatalities from coyotes in North America, and there are literally millions of coyotes in North America. Like we don't know how many there are. I was trying to figure that out and the like the state of Kansas alone has over 300,000 coyotes. Wow. So there are so many coyotes. They are so good at living on the fringes of human society and around us, and they hardly ever attack people. California has like around 10 coyote attacks a year, and they're almost always just little bites that people get from feeding them. When they are food conditioned, they are more likely to be bold around people, to come up to people and try and get food. So if you feed a coyote there's a good chance you're teaching it behavior that could really hurt someone else uh, or lead to someone else even being killed. So don't ever feed them. It's teaching a coyote that humans are a source of food, not something to be f feared. But I just love coyotes. I think they're such a cool animal. I think, you know, good for them for figuring out a way to live on our fringes. We've messed things up so drastically for so many animals. And this is one animal that's really figured out how to do it and how to be okay around us. And I just think like if you live in an area where you've been seeing coyotes or you know there's coyotes around, it's up to you just to take those extra precautions to make sure one isn't going to come grab your kid or something because they're a predator and they're opportunistic. And if they see the opening, they might take it. So you just got to be careful. You um, know what I learned from that? Coyotes are here to stay. What? Coyotes be wiling. They be wiling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We could go on and on about coyotes, but I just, I think they're amazing little predators. All of these articles were like vicious coyote attack, vicious. It's not, it's a coyote displaying natural behavior and attacking an animal that's much smaller than it and pretty defenseless. I think there's a word for that. Pred predation. No, it's wylin. <laughs> yeah, wylin. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm done with that one. Uh, do you guys have any more? Yeah, I'll do some headlines. Okay. So Lady Gaga, or wait, mm -hmm. 
Okay. So, so far, um, you got my interest peaked. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say it like that. Lady Gaga. Okay. So, a man accused of shooting singer's dog walker released from jail by mistake. So, okay. someone shot Lady Gaga's dog walker, and then they yeah, just let him out that. of jail. And then the jail was like, wait, sorry, come Wrong back. This All one right. doesn't have an animal, but I want to read it because I thought it was really funny. Uh, it happened in Virginia. Man hands officers meth instead of registration at traffic stop. <laughs> that is a pretty good one. Interesting, <laughs> Zach, my... for our podcast. Yeah. yeah. But, a little outside the purview. But... Um, yeah. Yeah. Completely I just, outside you know, of it. You never know. With no, me. I'm glad you. I'm happy yeah. you. Yeah. And then the DC Zoo. Uh, you guys know what happened at the DC Zoo? Nope. A fox went in, snuck on into the zoo, mm-hmm. and killed 25 of their flamingos and one duck. Holy cow. Which brings up the question, how many flamingos can one fox eat? At least 20. Or it probably didn't eat them all. It <laughs> probably know. just killed Kill them. them. Yeah. Why is he just killing them? How many could it that happens, eat? That happens sometimes, especially with dogs. Dog species, wolves, foxes, coyotes. Sometimes they, it, it's called surplus killing. They kill as much as they can, and the thought is they know they could come back and eat that later if they want. And so they just figure, might as well kill it now so I can get mm. it later. Because the ki- when the killing's good, the killing's good. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> the, it was like May 2nd, and the zookeepers were just like doing their morning walk and got to the flamingos, and there's just a fox in there murdering everything. Yeah. And then they ended up catching it and euthanizing the fox. I think it was Ted Bundy that originally yeah, said that, right? <laughs> sounds like something he, he would coin, yeah. When the killing's good, the killing's good. And that's it for foxes be sneaking. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Mike, did you have more or should I get into mine? No, go for it. You're good to go. All right. So I had some kind of news happen to me this week. So as you guys know, I work in Yellowstone National Park. I'm on the bear management team. That job involves a lot of different things. It can be anything from um, just going to bear jams where there's tons of people parked on the side of the road watching a bear and doing some education and and making sure that traffic can still move and everything. It can be collecting carcasses by the side of the road that present an attraction for a bear, but it's a spot that's not safe for them to eat a carcass. It's a lot of stuff. It could be trapping bears and collaring bears. It can be investigating bear maulings. It's pretty much anything bear-related or wildlife-related in the park is part of my job. But the things that we take the most seriously are any bear conflict. And because we've done such a good job with bear management in Yellowstone, we have really very few bear conflicts. But this week we did have one. And what happened was we have a subadult grizzly who's been spending a lot of time in these thermal areas that are some of the first areas to thaw in the spring. They present some of the first really good feeding opportunities for bears, some of the first grasses some earthworms, grubs, uh, roots, lots of different stuff they can get at. And this bear's just been there for weeks in these areas. She's been really visible. We've been pretty tolerant of letting her get somewhat close to the road so that she can eat in these, these spots that are really the only food right now. But recently, especially after we would be done for the day, uh, she was getting really close to the road at night. And that's Mm. concerning because we have so many visitors, you never know what might happen. And I actually drove through one night when I was off duty and I saw her like five feet from the road surrounded by cars and I yelled at people to back up. But when you're not in the ranger uniform, they don't really take you that seriously. 
Anyway, the next night, apparently the exact you same didn't, thing like, happened. Say, I'm Grizz Kid. No, I didn't. <laughs> By the power of Grizz Kid, I command you I, to yeah, back up. I didn't say that. I should have though. They would have taken me a lot more seriously yeah. then. Um, the next night, I wasn't there, but apparently the exact same thing happened. And multiple witnesses, including some really credible ones that we know in the park, saw someone toss bread out of their window to the spare. Unfortunately, no one got a license plate. It was a white truck that had a family in it. And if anyone out there did happen to be at the spare jam and has photos of this license plate, please send them to me. Or if and I'll you tell you why. Know anyone with a white truck, send it to West. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a family with a white <laughs> truck. They fed this bear. And you may think that that's like a pretty small kind of infraction. We all know that we shouldn't feed bears, but that may not seem like a big deal. But it's actually a huge deal. And the reason why is because this bear was already habituated, which is kind of a gray area for national park bears. It's kind of almost a necessary evil because there's so many visitors, but it wasn't food conditioned. And now it is now instead of just seeing trucks and cars and people as kind of like an annoyance, it sees them as a possible food source. And it may start then approaching cars thinking, oh, when I approach these things, food comes out of them. And that leads to behavior like breaking open cars or getting into campsites. And then that leads to behavior like potentially attacking people. And that's a big liability for the park. It's a huge liability for this bear. And it's really, really unfortunate because this bear did nothing wrong. Mm. It was just displaying natural behavior, eating grass on the side of the road when someone threw it some food. Probably the best food it's ever had in its life. So now my job is to go out there. And this bear that previously had a pretty worry-free life, as far as grizzly bears go, and I have to haze it every single time I see it that it's within 100 yards of the road. I was out there the other day, and she was like 250 yards from the road, which is fine. Like, I didn't have to do anything at that distance, and she's grazing, and then this huge male bear lumbers in, and she takes off running, and he pushed her closer to the road, and then I had to haze her. And so it's kind of like... She just can't catch a break, <laughs> yeah. and it sucks. Oh, that's too bad. And I feel really bad for her, and I really actually love this bear because I've been seeing her for weeks now. But I wanted to bring up this story just because you may think that feeding any animal, any animal out there, whether it's like a raven, a chipmunk, a coyote, a bear, you may think that you're doing something harmless. A duck. But you've just given that animal an association with people that's very different from the association it should have, which that is people are to be avoided because we're not good for animals. We proved that. Um, unless you're talking about domestic animals, I think you could say a duck is probably somewhat in that category. <laughs> but like outside of that, we're not good for them. And encounters with us ultimately leads to them dying. And if you're feeding them, you're giving them the wrong lesson. So don't feed animals. It's a bad idea. It's a human safety issue. It's an animal safety issue. But this is a little case study of that. And I want you guys to know how serious it is. So really, 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 if I can just plead with you, just don't do it. Hey, I just want to interrupt myself really quick for an update on this uh, Yellowstone bear story. So when we recorded this, we had just finished hazing that bear. Uh, it was ongoing. And a couple days after we recorded, that bear was actually killed by another grizzly bear. So um, its mom was actually mating with the big male and the two stumbled across this subadult and the mom kind of pounced on it, I think, to shoo it off. And then the big male came in and killed it. And 
Unfortunately, that's just part of life out here for a grizzly bear, especially a younger grizzly bear. If you come across a bear that's a lot bigger than you, you need to get away from it. And if you don't, there's a chance it might kill you. And in, in this circumstance, that's what happened. That's partly just because we have a lot of bears here in Yellowstone now. We're at carrying capacity, so they're bound to kind of weed each other out a little. But yeah, it's it's kind of a bummer. I, I really liked that bear. I saw it almost every day. Uh, I was working with it pretty closely to try and teach it not to be food conditioned but nature kind of resolved that problem for us. And it's unfortunate that that bear's not around anymore, but it's also a really amazing thing that a lot of people got to witness. Some people got photos and videos of it. Uh, it's not every day that you come to Yellowstone and see two grizzlies kill another grizzly. So pretty amazing thing for some people to see. Pretty sad thing for me and for that bear. But uh, yeah, it's all part of the, the circle of life here in Yellowstone. Oh yeah, and one other thing I wanted to say, I repeatedly said that that bear was female while we were saying the story, but after it was killed, we were able to inspect the bear and learn that it was actually a male. So it was a male bear that was killed, just so you know. All right, back to the episode. Uh, I don't want to take up too much time because we actually have, for you guys, a really special treat that we teased at the beginning of the episode, which is a really cool guest, um, our friend Clara who's now a friend of the podcast. She's got an amazing story for you guys about a rattlesnake bite. So I think, are you guys ready? Should we bring her on? Yeah, let's talk to Claire. Perfect timing. You didn't do that? No, how'd you do oh. that? <laughs> I don't it was amazing. Hey, Claire. Hey. hey, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you guys doing? Good. Yeah, that is Good. crazy. Wes just finished doing an intro for you like the exact second <laughs> that you came on. And yeah. we were all like, wait, did someone text her? So that's perfect you told timing. me to come on. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Are you feeling okay? Yeah, pretty good. Not a lot has changed with okay. my foot in the last like week or so, but yeah. Okay. Everyone's probably in suspense to even know what happened. We haven't really said anything yet. I should say beforehand that me and Claire have already talked for a while. You told me the whole story, but I just wanted you to tell it to everyone else. Quickly, let's have you introduce yourself and say a little bit about what you do for work or what mm -hmm. you were doing for work before this incident, and then we can get into the story. Sure. Yeah, so primarily I'm doing wildlife technician work right now. So I was recent, most recently working in Arizona and New Mexico with the Mexican Wolf Recovery Program there. So I was there for six months working with wolves. And then I was leaving that job to go to Yosemite for the summer to work with the bear team. So it was on my way to Yosemite when I ended up having this interaction with the snake. Cool. We'll just, we'll get right into it. So I decided to stop through Joshua Tree and um, I'd never been there before, but it's kind of like any park and there's a main road through it and it's pretty busy. And I was just looking for anywhere to go explore the desert by myself. So I found this little place to pull out um, just off the main road. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Joshua Tree. I haven't been there. Um, Have you, Wes? Just like right by it. I've been to like Palm Springs, but I've never really been in Joshua Tree. Mike, you haven't either? No, I'd um, like to though. No, yeah, we're it's not. Really beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it looks like <laughs> snakes. Well, so anyway, so the place I pulled out was it's called Oyster Bar and it leads out to a climbing area. And so no one was out there. And so I just kind of wandered out on that trail and was exploring the area and I was just hanging out on a boulder for a little bit and then I decided to head back to my car. So I jumped down from the boulder and just immediately felt this sharp pain but it was super quick, nothing crazy. I was like, okay, I guess I must have miscalculated and not seen a cactus and just assumed I had hit my foot on a cactus. Before that 
had snakes been on your mind at all? Like, were you considering that you might run into a snake? Were the conditions kind of right for them? Did you think that it was a possibility? Yeah, I definitely was thinking about snakes and I was definitely like in areas where they could potentially be. And I was like, hmm, I shouldn't be in this little nook and cranny. And I did leave that area after that. So I was in a pretty open area after that, but I was definitely aware of them. And it's kind of the time of year where they're starting to come out. Is right as you put your foot down, you felt it? Yeah, it was like immediately when I landed, something happened. How far away from your car were you at this point? Was it a pretty good hike away? It wasn't a terrible hike. I guessed that it was like a mile. And then later I measured it and it was closer to half a mile from my car. Yeah. Okay. So the snake just bit you. You you weren't totally sure what it was. Thought maybe it was a cactus. Yeah. I looked down and I just saw this rock next to my foot. And then I leaned a little further down and I just saw this snake staring back at me. And so it was like right next to me. Right. And I was like, immediately was like, oh, I was bit by this snake. And that was all within seconds of jumping down from this boulder. Did you like jump backwards when you saw the snake? (laughs) I didn't jump backwards. I just sort of was like, oh shit, I got to get out of here. Immediately started to leave. The last time I saw a rattlesnake, I couldn't tell if it was a rattlesnake because it's kind of dark. So I started getting closer to it. And then it rattled and I jumped back so far. <laughs> well, yeah, I could have set an Olympic record for that jump. <laughs> Bob Beeman's well, jump. Thing, like, it didn't ever rattle. You know? yeah. Even when I was staring straight at it, it was just sort of like flicking its tongue. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay. That was oh, something no. I wanted to bring up really quick for our listeners is that I think people have this kind of false sense of security with rattlesnakes that they're always going to rattle and they're going to get this warning before they strike. And that's the case if you like, come upon a rattlesnake and it's worried about you and it's trying to warn you and get you to leave. But I think in your circumstance where you just hop down right next to it, it had to make that split decision and just strike. You were suddenly right there. So it just bit, it didn't have time to rattle or anything. So I just do think it's important that people understand that, that they don't always rattle that every once in a while people do get bit without ever having any kind of warning. And I think, I mean, the snake was just really startled. It didn't know I was mm-hmm. there. I think it was somewhat innocent. Um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally <laughs> innocent. Yeah. Probably regretted using a lot of venom. But... You feel bad for how much venom it used <laughs> yeah, on you. It's pretty <laughs> most polite yeah, attack victim we've had on the show. <laughs> sort of. I don't know. I, snakes are cool. I felt, yeah. I wonder yeah. about the snake now and where it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but basically, I saw that it was brown and had a triangular head. I think it had some yellow markings on its face, but it was enough that I was like, this is a rattlesnake and I need to leave. I started heading back to my car pretty immediately. And um, there's no service in the park where I was at least. So I was alone, didn't have service. And I, no one knew I was out there. It's not like people are going to come looking for me or anything. My friends knew I was in Joshua Tree, but they're like, if we don't hear from you in four days, we'll start to get worried or whatever. So I was like, okay, I got to get back and I got to get help. And the pain and swelling were really quick to come on. Time is kind of warped from getting bit to getting help. But I think in that first minute or so, it was pretty bad. And then within a few minutes, it was really difficult to walk at all. So even though I wasn't super far from my car, I really was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get there. And I also knew that no one had come out on the trail. But I walked for a few minutes and then I sat down because I was in so much pain and it was just swelling so quickly. And I forced myself to get back up and I could see cars driving back and forth in the distance. 
So I was like, okay, like if someone decides to stop or rolls down their window, like maybe they could hear me if I scream. So that's when I started screaming for help, which is pretty weird to think about. I don't know, like when do you ever like scream? It's an odd thing to recall, I guess. It felt pretty desperate. That well, is, it's super have scary. Have you guys ever screamed? I was just about to ask you guys. I like, I mean, not like that because this is kind of like the fear of death is put in you. I've never had right. to experience that. I can't. I don't think, think of I've it. ever screamed at the top of my lungs for help or because I was like scared or or anything. Like I just I've never. That's yeah, weird. I don't think I've ever done it. What yeah. about in your <laughs> your Lincoln Park cover band in high school? <laughs> <laughs> a little or bit when then. I stole your CDs? Oh as a yeah, kid. and lost them all. At me. Yeah, that's crazy because you could see people for help but it seems like it would be pretty hard for them to hear you so you just had to but you just didn't know what else to do type of thing like maybe someone will hear me yeah I think at that point I was genuinely worried that I wouldn't be able to continue walking foot just hurt so bad that you just didn't know if you could walk yeah and it was really swollen at this point Mm. I remember looking down and I was wearing bed rocks so it's like basically looks like a flip-flop with you know, a back strap. And I hadn't taken my foot partially out and I had looked down and I was like, oh shit, like my foot's going to get stuck in my shoe. I got to take my heel out, you know? Yeah. So it was oh, wait, pretty So cool. was your foot exposed? You didn't have like She's snake went straight into skin? Yeah, definitely like preventative footwear helps. Yeah, um, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so something that I wanted to bring up really quick before you keep going to is just that, and you knew this going into your whole adventure, but a lot of rattlesnake bites can be dry where people get bit and they don't have any kind of envenomation and you just walk away from it. And it's just the snake kind of telling you, hey, I'm a rattlesnake, but it decides not to inject venom for whatever reason. But you instantly knew that yours wasn't that because within a minute your leg is starting to really hurt and get swollen it felt really desperate I genuinely was like I don't know if I can get back to my car and I was running really quickly through scenarios right like okay am I just gonna lie down on this path with cars driving by and like my organs are like shutting down there's so much adrenaline and I was like I just need to get help So forced myself to get back up and then would start screaming for help. And then I'd like sit back down after a minute or so, or taking a few steps even, and then would talk to myself out loud being like, okay, you got to keep going. The only way to get help is if we like keep going. And then I'd force myself back up and then like start screaming again. So I think it was just like this very desperate (laughs) attempt in a lot of ways. And I do think people are a lot more capable than they realize, especially in like survival situations. So like, Uh I probably could have gone a lot farther if I really had to, but it was like a genuine fear. Like, I don't know if I can get back to my vehicle. And you knew that there wasn't anything that you could really do to the bite itself, right? Like you were aware that you couldn't cut it open and suck out venom or do a tourniquet or any of that stuff, right? You had all that knowledge already. Yeah. I have a wilderness first responder certification. So some like basic knowledge of, I mean, basically all they teach you is like, there's nothing you can do in the field except calmly leave. Plus you listen to the podcast. No, it did. (laughs) That did help. And, but yeah, it sort of felt ridiculous. Like I've like gone back and read like, you know, how to handle a snake bite in the wilderness. And it's like calmly sit down and then like circle the bite wherever you were bit and mark the time and like slowly get help and remain calm. And it was sort of like, 
I don't know. It all goes out the window if you're like having to self-rescue. Yeah, I actually, I wanted to ask about that because obviously you had some preconceived notions of what a bite might result in, but what was different about the actual experience compared to like what you were expecting or what you kind of thought about it beforehand? Was it worse or better in ways or? I think it was probably worse because I just, I understand that most bites really aren't that horrible and that, you know, you can see swelling and pain, mild pain starts happening and it can even like happen an hour later or it can be delayed. So I think I was just like surprised that it was so bad because it's like, I've been pretty severely injured in the past and I just like never experienced pain like this. I was like, this is insane. I'm like on the trail, like sitting on the trail and then like forcing myself back up and then walking and then sitting down and At this point, I'm close enough to the road that I was like, people can definitely see me at this point. So I was like flailing my arms around, just like trying to get someone's attention. So I see this car like slow down, checking out slowly, deciding what to do. And I desperately waved for them to come towards me. So they pulled into the parking lot. And at that point, that's when I got to the parking lot too. So I just immediately sat down and they rolled down their window. And I was like, I was bit by a snake. I need help. And so one of them stayed with me and then the other person drove off to find rangers. Wow. And it was (laughs) at that point, like when I just was able to like sit and I was just waiting for help, my whole leg felt like it was on fire. And then my foot itself felt like it was like going to explode. Like any moment it was going to like rip at the seams, the seams, like my skin was just going (laughs) to like rip open. Mm. Um, And it was just like this insane pain from venom. I don't really know how better to describe it besides that it was like on fire and going to explode. No, that's pretty, that's that's a vivid picture. Yeah, I think we understand. That's awful. And that really is horrifying. Yeah. It was kind of this weird scenario, right? Like I'm sitting on the ground crying and then like swearing profusely. And then I'm like, oh, I'm with this person. And like, was trying to make small talk with them. (laughs) It was just like a very odd situation. It was taking a while. So like she was feeling anxious to... Um, and she's like, is there anything I can do? And it's like, there's nothing that can be done. And I did have ice in my car and I did have her grab the ice and I put ice on my foot, which is like, you should never do that. You guys mentioned that in your previous episode, I think not to do that. And then yeah. it's also something I learned previously, but I didn't recall that. And honestly, like it did provide some form of relief, but yeah, learning later about it, right. It just constricts your blood vessels and it causes tissue damage. So it was a short enough time period that I don't think it did anything to cause permanent damage. But at that point, it's like, I would have gladly put my leg in a freezer. Like I was like, please just do something. Yeah. yeah. I was just sitting there waiting. And then eventually the other person came back. And then a couple of minutes later, some peer camp hosts showed up. So they didn't really have much training you know, and knowledge, they actually like did offer me a snake bite kick to suck out the venom. And I was like, no, we can't do that. (laughs) Also, while I was waiting, someone did offer me a tourniquet as well. So it's like all well-meaning, right? And I was just like, no, you should never do these things. But it's definitely like people definitely think those things. Right. I was glad I had like some understanding of what you should not be doing. Yeah. In our last episode that we did on rattlesnakes, really the two tools that are really helpful for you if you're bit by a rattlesnake or any venomous snake are your keys and your phone. Those are the two things you need because you just need to get anti-venom as quickly as possible, which you knew. Yeah. And eventually, like when people were offering me stuff, I was like, look, I have like training in this. We shouldn't do these things. But 
yeah, I, I guess I was surprised that like people like really did think that's what you're supposed to do. Because ice, I feel like is understandable. Like you want to ice something that's swollen, but I feel like a tourniquet, it's like you're cutting off all of the circulation to an extremity. <laughs> you're going to like lose that part of your body if you do that. So a few minutes after that, the head of emergency services showed up and he has his EMT and stuff. And he was really knowledgeable and helpful. I think just like a calming presence to have. And, you know, he took some vitals and whatnot. And essentially he was like, look, I just want you to know, like the ambulance is a few minutes away, but they're going to want you to take a helicopter out. And I was like, I don't know, like that seems like over the top. I don't want to be dramatic about this. I was also like worried about the financial implications of that. And I repeatedly was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And he's like, well, you're not being dramatic. And I've seen a lot of different bites and this is a really bad bite. And a lot of time has already passed. And this is about the functionality of your leg at this point. And I think that was like really helpful to hear. I just needed someone to be direct with me in terms of like how severe the situation was. And I still like questioned it repeatedly, but it was definitely like firmly told to me that I like needed to take the helicopter. So the ambulance showed up. And so I like got an ambulance and was waiting for the helicopter. And they gave me a bunch of fentanyl in there while I was waiting. So that was like nice and provided. Yeah. yeah, yeah some form of relief for a little bit but it was the pain was so bad that it was like a few minutes later I was like can I have more sort of thing um and they didn't want to give me more I think because they wanted me to be aware enough while I was taking the helicopter or something I'm not quite sure what the reasoning behind it was but you know they're kind of giving me a hard time about wearing sandals and all this stuff (laughs) but they're really nice and then the helicopter showed up and the paramedics took me to the helicopter. They had me stick out my tongue and they're like, oh, you have ripples on your tongue, which is a clear sign of pit viper envenomation. And I was like, I've never heard that. And I tried to research that and I like can't find anything about it. So (laughs) I don't know. I didn't see my tongue. I I couldn't find anything either, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the first case of it. (laughs) So I don't know. That dude just wanted to see your tongue for some weird reason. Well, and he showed, like, he, like, stuck out his tongue and was like, see, my tongue looks like this. And then, like, yeah, okay, that's very strange. (laughs) Um, And it's like, yeah, we know I was bit by my tongue looks like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, look Uh, at my foot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I was also high, so I was like, oh, yeah, like, you have a flat tongue. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, they loaded me up into the helicopter Um, and then I was just like talking to them on the ride there, kind of like worried about the financial implications. And they were like, don't worry, worry about it. And they like gave me more pain meds and they kind of like propped my gurney up so I could look out the back window and was like pretty chill, (laughs) just on a ton of pain meds. Like, all right, this is happening. I 100% would be worried about the financial stuff too. I just think that's like part of being an American, especially like a younger American. I get what they're saying. Like, don't worry about it. Your leg is more important than like a few hundred thousand dollars or whatever. But I 100% would be thinking the exact same thing. Like, I don't want to have to pay for all of this. So I got to the ER and then (laughs) I like got in contact with my family and friends and was still kind of like at that point in so much pain that I was just wriggling in pain, like wanting to be out of my body and totally just like uncontrollably crying and just surrendered (laughs) to this pain because I was in the hospital. There's nothing I could do. 
and my foot like at that point was pretty gray and super swollen and they were starting to mark where the swelling was gross photo oh was that yours showed us it's it's very swollen kind of greenish gray dark that's not how it looked before (laughs) i think yeah in terms of like discoloration i think when i got to the hospital hospital is when i noticed that it could have been earlier but just um, like imagine a elephant's foot and that's what it pretty much was (laughs) that's exactly what it Uh, looked like But so I got to the hospital around six, I was a bit around four. So it was a couple hours later. That night onwards is like, I don't really remember that much. I remember like being in severe pain, crying a ton. (laughs) It was like a pretty ridiculous scenario. Like the person next to me started yelling at me to shut up because I was crying so loudly. Oh, come (laughs) on. It took a lot of self-control to be like, not yell back at this person and like instigate a fight because I was like in so much pain and I was like, I cannot stop crying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pretty unreasonable. Yeah. It's (laughs) not crying. You're in a hospital. Yeah. It's not a movie theater. (laughs) So after that, I don't remember much of the night onwards. Um, you know, they're starting to mark my leg up in terms of where it was swelling to. I think by like 8.30, it was halfway up my thigh at that point. And they started giving me anti-venom around 7 p.m. And there's two types of anti-venom. There's Crofab, which is what most people are familiar with. And then there's Anavip, which was recently approved in the U.S. a couple years ago. There's not a ton of differences, I don't think. There's a longer half-life with Anavip. It doesn't have to be kept in a refrigerator, which is really good, and Crofab does. And then Crofab is derived from sheep plasma, and Anavip is derived from horse plasma. Um, I was given Anavip, and I'm mentioning that because in terms of dosing, it's like about a two-to-one ratio. Ten vials of Anavip is about the equivalent of five Crofab vials. But generally, like when you come in for a snake bite, they give you this like loading dose of Crofab or Anavip. So you get a bunch all at once in order to maintain control. And then you start getting smaller maintenance doses based on your symptoms. So I was given 10 vials of Anavip and that's like a pretty standard loading dose. And then Crofab is like four to six is a loading dose. So I was given 10 and then I was still progressing. So they gave me 10 more and then in the morning, I got 10 more vials. So, so like you're I at 30 had, right now. Yeah. Okay. 30 vials. Yeah. Which would be the equivalent then of 15 vials of what people are used to. So I think our other rattlesnake story, the guy ended up with like 20 something vials, which we said was like a pretty insane amount of anti-venom and you're already at 15 with your loading yeah. dose essentially. Wow. Right. Yeah. So in the morning I was transferred out of the ER and this is kind of where things get like really messy in terms of care and it's a little chaotic so I'll try not to like go into crazy detail but essentially like I do think the ER did a good job from at least the clinical notes that I've read it seems like they were addressing the symptoms with anti-venom and giving me more based on that and then when I got transferred out um, you know I was assigned an attending physician and none of the doctors that I had had ever handled a snake bite before at least after I was transferred to the ER, I'm not familiar with the experience that ER docs had. So they were not like super knowledgeable about what was happening. And there's just all these like small errors starting to build up. And at that point, I was starting to be more conscious and aware of what was happening. And I just remember being really panicked 
in the morning because I was like, my leg has gotten worse. Like the swelling is up past my hip at this point. My leg is like huge. My foot is gray. Any sort of touch to my leg, even up to my thigh was like severe pain. So I was really nervous. I was like, this doesn't seem right. Like, I don't know why I'm not improving. So I was trying to get someone to come see my leg. And, you know, I kept telling my nurse to like get someone to come help me. And so she contacted ortho, but that wasn't like my attending physician who was overseeing my care entirely. But the surgeon that came to look at me, like she was just kind of evaluating if I needed surgery, like a fasciotomy, because I was like at risk for compartment syndrome. Her understanding was like, look at the leg. Does she need a fasciotomy? No job done. Right. So, and a fasciotomy is when they put big slashes in your skin and your flesh to like help relieve some of that pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty, it's like a pretty gnarly surgery. It's not one you want to have to have. Right. It's essentially like the only way to relieve pressure at that point. And so it's like a huge pain relief, but it's really difficult to recover from. And I was like, when I came in, they didn't let me like eat or drink because they were worried I'd potentially have to go into surgery. So at this point, I still was like not allowed to eat or drink because of this potential risk of needing surgery. But she came in and was like, okay, we're going to keep monitoring your leg and foot, but like you don't need a surgery right now. And I was like, okay, but like I need help but that wasn't really her job. And then the vascular surgeon came in like 30 minutes later and was like, you need surgery right now. We need to debreed your foot and like put incisions in your leg. And I was like, what, this doesn't make any sense. And then they did more imaging on my leg. And then they were like, yeah, we're just going to monitor you for this. And I think during this time, I was just like, I think I just need more anti-venom. I just know that's the only thing that actually addresses venom in your system. I had listened to your guys' podcast previously, like that specific episode. And I did remember because that (laughs) was such an extreme event with that previous story. Like I was like, I know there's not like, you can't go past a certain number And I knew that was like really the only thing that could help. Right. Um, We're glad we could help out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When you, did you tell them that you had heard that? It was actually in the ambulance that I like mentioned your guys' podcast. when they were like, Because they were like, you were in sandals hiking around. And I was like, look, and I was like, had just gotten fentanyl. And I was like, I don't know. I was just like babbling along. And I was like, I work with wolves and bears and I know how to be in the outdoors. And I listened to this podcast and they were like, you know, probably rolling their eyes. That's great though. Like, I don't know when we talked before, I just, I don't want to give ourselves a ton of credit, but I I think it's great that the fact that you knew that you could get as much anti-venom as you needed, because truly that is like what you needed. You needed more anti-venom and you knew that because, you know, you'd heard that on the podcast and from your training and everything. So I am, I am really tickled that, that we, that we helped a little bit with that. No. And I definitely think that as well. Like I did have at least a little bit of prior knowledge and Mm -hmm. it did help me out in that situation. So basically you're at the hospital and you're telling your doctor, listen, Grizz kid says I can't (laughs) have too much anti You can't overdose. How do they, how do they (laughs) react to you? Like telling them that you can't have too much anti-venom. So I guess I didn't quite say it like that. Essentially, like (laughs) my attending physician came in and I was like, I think I need more anti-venom. And also keep in mind, it's like, I still have like a ton of narcotics in my system. 
So it's really hard to think straight. It's really hard to articulate myself. And I'm like really lucky that my parents had come and like my mom can like sift through like a bunch of medical jargon. But I did have to like advocate really hard for myself and my parents did as well, which sucks in a setting like that. But essentially, it was clear to me that the doctor was not familiar with my case. She was arguing about with me about the amount of antivenom I had already gotten. She told me that I'd already had a ton. And I was like, okay, that doesn't really mean anything to me. It's like, I still need more. And then she told me that I had received antivenom before getting to the hospital. And I was like, no, I didn't. And she's like, yes, you did. And it was like this back and forth. And I was like, this is insane. Like, That's so weird. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. I was like freaking out because I was like, this is an acute situation. Like it needs to be addressed now. And like, you're just clearly not familiar with what is going on and like the severity of this. So like at best she was uninformed and at worst she was being negligent and complacent in this situation. And it just, there was no protocols being followed. Nothing was put in place and like no one knew what they were doing. Um, well, one thing I wanted to bring up really quick too, is that the alternatives they were offering you like a fasciotomy or the other surgery potentially had life altering recovery periods and effects. Like you were saying that your toes might be curled for the rest of your life, or those fasciotomy scars maybe never fully recover and they're always painful for the rest of your life. So it's not like they were just like, Hey, let's just give this some time and see what happens. Right. Your leg was getting worse and worse and you either needed more anti-venom or some other form of surgery that could have drastically altered your ability to function. Yeah. So it was a serious situation and I felt like no one was really addressing it correctly. And it was also clear to me, they just like, didn't understand what was going on. So that made me more panicked or I was like, well, you guys don't know what you're doing. Like what is happening? Please figure this out. And I don't know, that doctor was super weird. Like she was like, well, I got you all these consultations. Like I don't, it, she acted like she was like doing me all these favors. And I was like, this isn't yeah, that's like, your job. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> Take care of my leg. This is what yeah. needs to happen. And we were asking coming out her of her like, tip. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we were asking her to like consult with snake bite experts or toxicologists or someone that knew what they're doing. And she just seemed so annoyed by that and defensive and you know, doctors see cases all the time where they've never dealt with it. It happens. And it's like, you consult an expert in the field then and go based off what they say. Right. So it was just really weird. And I ended up switching doctors the next day. And my nurse at that point was like, you should transfer hospitals. Like it was, it was just like a ridiculous <laughs> situation. Then infectious disease somehow got involved and he was like actually listening to me and he was like, she didn't get antivenom before coming here. It's standard for poison control to be contacted and they have all the protocols and then they consult with the doctors and like continually check in and they like open a file on you and everything. Basically, I don't know. I learned that it's like, if this ever happens to you, like you should really make sure that they contact poison control because they at least have all the protocols and they're going to tell the doctors what to do. And you're, they're just, you need to be following a protocol in this situation. Yeah, no, this is awesome. I'm really glad that we have you on. Cause I don't know if we've ever done anything quite so in depth in like the recovery period or like the uh, immediate aftermath, a firsthand account of how to deal with the situation is yeah. really important. So uh, yeah, hopefully the listeners are, I'm taking notes. Hopefully everyone's taking notes. This is, this is so weird though, that like these doctors are just like, <laughs> I would go check the credentials. 
credentials on whoever that one lady yeah. is. <laughs> I, I think like, honestly, the hospital has really bad reviews. It's pretty funny to read the reviews online, actually. Okay. Um, but there's one about a snake bite, we're going to know who it was. <laughs> I haven't written one yet, but maybe I will. I think too, it's like, I had never really thought about needing to know what was happening in the hospital. Like when I've thought of snake bites, it's like, just get to the hospital. They're going to deal with it. So yeah, it's really scary to be in a situation like this. You're on a ton of drugs. You can't like really know what's going on. Like if it was a neurotoxic, toxic snake too, it's like, that'd be a total, you wouldn't be able to advocate for yourself in that situation. So it is really scary. And if you're able to consult, able to get in touch with poison control, like you can have those protocols and hopefully those will be followed correctly. Did they give you more anti-venom? Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure at like when they started giving me more anti-venom and when exactly poison control was contacted. It was sometime in the afternoon on the 10th. There was a bit on the 9th. So essentially they're like, okay, you need to elevate the the extremity. That's like really important is elevation in the hospital. Like This I've is heard- the first time you heard this? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Elevation is like second to anti-venom when it comes to healing from a snake bite is essentially what all experts will tell you. They started elevating my leg at that point and I started to get more anti-venom, which was really good. I got 14 more vials of anti-venom sometime in that time frame. And then that was like the total amount I ended up getting was 44 in total. That's insane. Wow. That's so much. Yeah. <laughs> so you probably got, I'm guessing that snake gave you it's it's full load or close to its full load of venom. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious how to, to know that, but it was really bad. My leg that day, I just remember it being like so massive and I was like trying to readjust my body and it just like didn't even feel like my leg and I like didn't know how to put it in a place where I was even comfortable. Like I was just like, this is insane. How does um, it feel now? It feels fine. My foot is like numb at the bike site and it's still swollen. And how long has it been since the bite? Today marks a month. Wow. Wow. Month today. How swollen is it? It's not super swollen. You know, it changes. Like if I walk on it, it does swell up pretty Mm -hmm. quickly. And like throughout the day, it's going to swell. I can't like see my tendons on that side of my foot. Can you still fit in your sandal? (laughs) I think I can fit in my sandal. The only shoes I've been wearing are like mountain bike shoes because I can tie them super loosely. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, you can get some Crocs. <laughs> so you you started getting better after they, they gave you the other anti-venom. And what happened after that? The next morning it was like, whoa, the swelling definitely got went down. Like this is super exciting. It was still like oozing fluids and stuff from the bite mark. And then like where they had like stabbed my foot to measure the pressure. Like there's just all this fluid coming out of my foot. Still swollen, but I could like move my ankle around. And it was definitely like, this is going in the right direction. This is great to see. And then I was able to eat for the first time. So it definitely felt like, okay, we're not worried about surgery anymore. Um, But I still needed to be closely monitored, hooked up to machines. And they were like taking my blood every six hours, I think. That was like what poison control told them to do. And they were like measuring the circumference of my leg because if it grows a certain amount, then like you're supposed to give more anti-venom. But from there, I just progressed. And technically, like after 24 hours, after getting anti-venom, you can be like discharged from the hospital. So they were like trying to discharge me 24 hours after pretty much. Um, But I was sort of in this weird situation where it's like I was moving places. So my parents were just staying in a hotel 
And then like my car was in Joshua Tree with all my stuff. So it's not like I could just like go home and like deal with the situation. So you're um, like, can I just crash here a couple more <laughs> days? <laughs> I did not want to be there. I was like so fed up with that place. I was like, <laughs> yeah. this sucks. But when they had like physical therapy come and consult with me and they were like, okay, today we're going to try to like put weight on your leg. And I was like, I like can't put my leg down straight. Like it was just like this ridiculous ask where I was like, I cannot even sit on the side of the bed and put my leg down. And then it kind of, the narrative kind of started to be, oh, like you just got to get moving at some point and like start using my leg. And it was one of those things where- Unbelievable. (laughs) So stupid. I was just like, I'm really worried this is going to make it worse. And they're like, you can't make it worse, you know, like all this stuff. And that's not true. And reading articles now from people that actually know what they're talking about, they're like, hospitals are going to often try to make you bear weight before you leave and like, don't do it. So that's at least validating. But it was this weird thing where it's like, they just kept pushing me to do this. And I like felt like a failure because I was like, I literally can't do this. Like, I can't. And it was a little bit frustrating because like, I've had to recover from severe injuries with this leg multiple times before. And like, I understand the process of like, trying to put weight on my leg again. And I was like, I just like had to bring up to them that like I had these previous injuries and I know what pain is. And like, I, like, why did I have to do that? Like, it's right. Like you really shouldn't have to. Um, I can't decide who the most annoying person in this story is. It just seemed like people progressively got more and more annoying and inept. That's amazing. Yeah. It should be like in the hospital. That should be the place where you feel like, okay, I'm safe. I'm, I'm safe. here. The experts will handle the situation, but it's just like, yeah. it seemed like you had to fight every inch of the way to get these experts to do their job. Right. That's, that's crazy to me. That's so scary. I think yeah. I'd be most annoyed with the snake still. Really? Yeah. I think like, the guy in the waiting room. Just like, don't bite me, dude. I'm just trying to get out of here. <laughs> I, had, I, wasn't I had no ill anything. will towards the snake, like ever. <laughs> yeah. You're not even annoyed? No, Maybe. I feel kind of bad. Like, I'm like, did, was it just coming out of brumation and was like, what the hell is uh, this? And like, just yeah. massive yeah. foot comes down next to it. Like, or maybe you should feel flattered. It's like, oh, that's a tasty looking foot. So we don't want to keep you forever, but I had another question for you that I know was an important part of your story that I wanted to get to. While you were kind of dealing with all these inept doctors and nurses and, and everyone, I know you found a really good resource to help you know exactly what you did need to do. And would you yeah. mind explaining that a little bit? Yeah. So we were, my parents and I were doing research and I, we first found this snake bite foundation, which is a really good resource. And they do mostly work in different countries addressing snake bite envenomations, but they have like all the clinical algorithms available to people. And so that's a really awesome resource. And then somehow my cousin found this other Facebook group that's called National Snake Bite Support. And it's all the leading experts actually donate their time to addressing snake bites. So you can like post in it and they're going to like within minutes respond to you, which is really cool. It's also like sad that this is like something that has to happen and that it's clear there's just like not great care out there and understanding of envenomations. It's interesting to read like different cases on there um, and just how like things are being addressed incorrectly. Um, But it is a really good resource. And I didn't find it until after, you know, I was the aftermath and like how to recover correctly. But 
it's like the people that started the Snakebite Foundation are people that um, moderate in it. So it's a really cool group. And like, you can even join just to like learn about envenomations and you can ask questions. There's like pretty specific rules to the, to the group, but it's a really good resource. Um, I definitely recommend being a part of that. Or if like your animals get bit, like veterinarians are on there too. That's amazing. Like Mike was saying, it's kind of sad that it had to be like, I need to find this Facebook group and I need yeah. to reach out to these right. other experts when you would just hope that at the hospital, they would just do all that and take care right. of you. And I was definitely like really upset about it right after the whole experience. And I've had like a little more time to like have some distance from it. But yeah, it's definitely pretty upsetting. And there's definitely like people like nurses that really advocated for me and then different doctors that listened to me. So I am like grateful for those people and for the people that like helped me out in the field and stuff. Um, is it, if you don't mind me asking, is it stressful for you now just with like the financial aspect of all of that? Yeah. So <laughs> my insurance is supposedly covering all of it. Um, oh, that's I, great. nice. Supposedly is not the best word there, but that's great. <laughs> hope so. Yeah. Well, like the billing hasn't gone through. And so I'm just like skeptical of it. And I already like received a bill where they're like rejected. And I was, then I had to call them and they had the wrong, you know, insurance on file and whatever. So until it's like actually all gone through and processed, I'm going to be a little bit anxious about it. Do you know like about how much it's going to be? Yeah. So the... It's like so insane. The um, helicopter ride on its own was $64,000. And then um, I called the hospital and asked like what the total billing was and such an insane number. Um, But they said they were charging my insurance $391,000. That is unreal. So you're like close to like half a million altogether. Yeah. Yeah, And then it's like, I don't know the ambulance charge like I was in the ambulance for a while I don't know if they're gonna and then I was also talking to the hospital and they were like well that's just for the hospital services not like all the different consults you got so I was like I don't know that is crazy it's very confusing and then it's also like you know like that's not what my insurance company is gonna pay it's gonna be some much smaller number but if I didn't have insurance like that would be what I would be charged with yeah you'd be in debt the rest of your life yeah at that point it's like well I guess I'm in debt forever like yeah (laughs) I don't know how I would deal with that but yeah it makes me kind of like sick to think about those numbers I'm like this is and you had almost switched your insurance right like you were yeah almost were out of it yeah because I was moving states and like Mm -hmm. I'm like teching around and then a point in my career where like I often am not like given health insurance by jobs and just get on Medicaid and stuff. So I had almost canceled it the week before. You should just never have any sort of lapse in coverage because you never know what's going to happen. So is there anything else you want to talk about as far as your recovery um, after you were discharged or being discharged or anything else? I'm trying to think. I mean, the recovery is just like way longer than I really thought it was going to be, I guess. Yeah. I think that's a little atypical too of like a rattlesnake bite. I think you definitely got you're you're on the more extreme end of of rattlesnake bites as far as envenomation and recovery and symptoms it seems like having to recover for that long and having that much anti-venom you definitely got a pretty large envenomation i wanted to ask you a quick question so i have a list here of symptoms for like potential symptoms from a rattlesnake bite 
And I just want to run through them really quickly. And I just want you to say yes or no, whether or not you experience the symptom, okay. if you don't mind. Okay. So the first one is bleeding. Yes. Uh, heavy internal bleeding. No. Swelling. Yes. Difficulty breathing. No. Blurred vision. No. Blistering. Yes. Bruising. Yes. Necrosis. No. Eyelid drooping. No. Low blood pressure. I had high blood pressure. Okay. Uh, Nausea and vomiting. No. Abdominal pain. No. Numbness. Yes. Paralysis. No. Rapid pulse. Yes. Change in skin color. Yes. Tingling. Yes. Tingling's a weird one. (laughs) Uh, It feels like it's on fire. Is it tingling? (laughs) Extreme (laughs) tingling. Extreme tingling. (laughs) Uh, Tissue damage. Yes. Thirst. Yes. (laughs) Convulsions. No. Weakness. No. (laughs) Uh, Death from internal bleeding or heart attack. No. Okay. So uh, that's pretty uh, rippled, much it. Don't forget rippled tongue. <laughs> yeah, rippled <laughs> tongue. That's the main one. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was just rattlesnakes in general. And we did talk about how there are certain species of rattlesnakes that have some of those more neurotoxic uh, effects. So like a Mojave rattler, for example, you get a higher uh, level of the neurotoxicity. Mm-hmm. And I think some of those symptoms are more in- indicative of a neurotoxic snake. But yours, we're thinking, is probably a Western diamondback, which is mostly hemotoxic. And so you had a lot of the system problems like your blood and swelling and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to add, Clara, aside from the fact that we pretty much saved your leg? <laughs> Just it's all you guys. <laughs> totally kidding. Uh, I wanted to add that, and I, I mentioned this before that we've always been a little hesitant to have like victims of incidents with animals on the podcast, just because I don't really want to have to tell people like to their face, like, oh, here's all the things that you didn't do right. But I think you really did everything right. And I think, you know, a big part of that is having that knowledge base beforehand and and having like the first aid training and all of that. But uh, I think, you know, we talked about this on the phone a little bit. If there was one thing that could have been done differently, it was probably just like different footwear. But as far as the footwear thing goes, we've all hiked in the desert with sandals. I do it all the time. I've hiked barefoot, like me and Jeff go on this hike where you're barefoot half the time. Like it's hard to say like, yeah, obviously in a perfect situation, you're wearing high ankled, really durable boots when you're in the desert. And that is what you should do. But I don't necessarily think you did that wrong. That's just something like that's a learning opportunity from this. Um, And then Really quickly, I just wanted to say for people who maybe haven't listened to our other rattlesnake episode, if you are bitten by a snake, the only things you should focus on are staying calm and getting help, getting antivenom as quickly as possible. So you don't want to like necessarily think about all those other tourniquet and all those, like all those kits and everything. Don't do them. They don't help. The thing that's going to help you is getting care and hopefully competent care which yeah. you didn't have, you know, the the ability to get, but getting care as quickly as possible and staying calm. If you do manage to get a photo of the snake or something great, but that shouldn't be your focus. Your focus should just be staying calm and getting care. Um, if you do elevate your leg, great. Or wherever it was bitten, that is something you can do. Uh, you can do a light bandage to it as well, but you just, the main thing is just getting or your anti-venom as quickly as possible. Yeah. And there's definitely scenarios where that would 
be difficult, you know, if you were like really in the backcountry on some sort of trip. And so I've definitely thought about how that's like pretty scary. Definitely. Yeah. So those inReach tools are good tools. Like it's, it's essentially like a, a cell phone that works if you need it in a pinch and it sends a signal to satellite and they can get help out to you. I have a spot device that I carry sometimes. So if you are in the backcountry, it is good for you to have some kind of way to get out and to, to make sure that you have some assistance, but yeah, but I think I honestly, like, I think you did pretty much everything right. You knew exactly what you had to do and you did it. And it probably is what ended up making it. So it wasn't worse than it needed to be. Yeah. I think I did, did the best I could. A plus people can learn from <laughs> your JLo in the anaconda. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you ever think that you were going to die? No. I didn't think I was going to, I was worried about like the functionality of my foot for sure. On a scale of one to 10, how many ouchies would you give your rattlesnake bite? That's, that's hard for me to do. You can, you can do the whole experience from when you were bitten until now, how many ouchies? Gosh, I don't know. This is what's so hard too. It was like when they were asking me a pain scale the next day after being bit, it's like, doesn't even compare to the pain before. Yeah. It's hard to scale that. I don't know, maybe a six or a seven. Six. You're you're tougher than wow. me. I probably yeah. would have said nine <laughs> or ten had I experienced that personally. So but she yeah. listens to the podcast, so she knows a ten is like yeah. being Something in a live body there. And, yeah. <laughs> right. Like that would suck. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know though. Feeling like your legs on fire and wants to explode, it's so tight sounds pretty awful to me. Yeah. So yeah. I'll give it, it a seven. It was bad. But. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say before we let you go? Um, I think that just like snakes are super cool and it sucks when they're like so sensationalized in like media and stories. And I just think like, it's good to have, you know, a healthy respect of them. And I think if you just understand them better, like it sucks, like you can get bit without really doing anything wrong in terms of you're just not aware of them being there, but I think they're super cool. So yeah, we do too. We do too. Yeah. We're big fans. For everyone out there, there are, it's like, I think it's roughly five to 6,000 on average bites per year in the US from venomous snakes. And on average, it's like five or six people that die each year. So it is like your chances of dying from a snake in the US at least are really, really slim. So we love snakes too. We absolutely love them. Well, cool. Thanks so much, Clara, for being on the podcast. Thanks for telling your story. I do think I'm with Mike. I think it's going to help a lot of people in understanding that when you are getting care, you don't just have to listen to what they're telling you. And you can kind of take some, some of that autonomy and learn for yourself and make sure you're getting the highest level of, of care. Yeah, totally. Good to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks Clara. It was awesome. Thanks guys. Bye. See you. Bye. Well, that was a crazy story. Thanks so much, Clara, for being on the podcast. Again, anyone else out there that has something that might happen to them or someone that they know, be sure to write us. I think because our Instagram inbox and our Patreon inbox get pretty crazy, um, just send it to our email address, thetoothandclaw at gmail.com. Um, that tends to be an easier way to kind of sort those out. Jeff, do you have any uh, any listener or Patreon questions for us? Yeah, I do. It's crazy how every time you ask Wes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? One day I might not. <laughs> okay, so this one, I'm not, I'm for sure not reading your whole name because I don't think they want me to put them out publicly for this one, but 
from Thomas. I don't know why it specifies horses, but here we go. Do horses or other animals have wet dreams? Uh, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I don't know why he wants to know horses. In particular. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thomas, you might want to think long and hard about that. Um, but Long and hard, huh? We don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would imagine so. I mean, we're not that different from other animals, so. Yeah, well, like primates will masturbate. I've seen that. Right? I think I've seen that. I feel like at the zoo, I've seen Yeah, it. they do. Oh, I've, I saw them last time at the San Diego Zoo. I saw multiple primates masturbating. You saw it while you were there? I've got a video of it. Yeah, of a mandrill. Oh, like, man. Fully going at it. Cranking? Yeah. Wow. I mean, animals, even domesticated animals, can barely control their sexual urges when they're awake. I mean, they must uh-huh. be going to... Nighttime is probably where they thrive. Yeah, I think... So, from, oh, like, yeah, what when I understand, we're like not watching them, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like wet dreams are from like when you, you're like not taking care of that oh, on your own. Maybe, you yeah. know? And I think most animals probably just take care of it. But I don't know. That's, mm. I think we're going down a, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Yeah. All right. From James, what do you think Frodo and Bilbo did once they arrived in Valinor? Just sit around in an elven spa? And then they want to know about the 1981 movie Roar. But I want to get okay. into this. <laughs> spa? Yeah. yeah. Bilbo Spa. Really quick. The 1981, 1981 movie Roar, we're going to do a whole episode on that at some point. So you're just okay, going to have to so wait for that. Um, Valinor is like supposed to be the we're most beautiful, wonderful. On Valinor, so. No. <laughs> Valinor is supposed to be, oh, be like heaven for elves pretty much. And so it's supposed to be just like a place of pure joy and happiness and everything. So in my mind, it's like, what are you planning on doing in heaven? That's kind of what Bilbo and Frodo would probably do in Valinor. I like to think that right when they get there, there's just a gigantic water park with just so many water slides and hardly any lines at all to get on the slides. And like one of those ones where you go like underwater and then there's like an aquarium. With sharks and stuff. Uh-huh. And yeah. like they're Do you think just hobbits would like that? Water sliding around. Yeah. Especially like Bilbo and Frodo because they're My more adventurous. Is, they just want like a big old potato stew right afterwards though. And like, I don't know. I mean, it's built for elves though, not hobbits. True. That's true. And elves are very serious. It might just be like conferences all the time and like meetings. Yeah, Council of Elrond you know, every day. They're probably bored in Valinor, the elves. They're, they like they just make gardens and stuff and trees. <laughs> I don't know. I would, That's a good question. I'd like to I think I would go to more spas if there were water slides in them. I don't think that's yeah. like yeah. a spa thing, right? Like a like no. a water slide into a spa. That'd be kind of yeah. sick. We should have like a a tooth and claw vacation that we invite some lucky fans on to uh, Atlantis Resort. And there's like part of the uh. water park is like Mordor themed and it's like all yeah. dark and like they're all like tunnels where you're like going Ooh, through and you got like, like a dark voice as you're going through that's like, or you go through like small. 
That that was Gandalf that said that. Yeah, but it still <laughs> applies to water slide. Yeah. The water slide designed by the dwarfs would be like really angular, so you would like hit the side and keep Ooh, going, yeah. and not like a smooth curve. It'd be like really <laughs> yeah. geometric shaped. I like how our question of what Bilbo and Frodo are doing in Valinor has turned into our Middle Earth themed <laughs> water, water park, park discussion. Water park. <laughs> All right, and then from Instagram, uh, from Jeffrey M. Ward. What was your biggest personal ouchie? Mm. Mine was probably falling out of that tree with the black bear and breaking my ankle. Mm. That hurt really bad. Mine, it, it's definitely an ankle for me. I like ruptured my patellar tendon. And my kneecap shot up into my thigh. But the worst pain from that was after the surgery. I woke up and I like felt everything. And like immediately was just hyperventilating. And then they like pumped yeah. me with morphine. So went from your worst ouchie to your best non-ouchie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike? When I got my appendix out, the whole night before leading up to it, I had I just had really bad stomach cramps. And I was like, I'll just force myself to throw up whatever I ate. Something's wrong is in there. If I can fall asleep, I'll just wake up and I'll feel better. And I was laying in my bed for like eight hours just sweating and dying. And finally, I don't think I fell asleep. I think I more just passed out from pain for like an hour. And then when I woke up, it felt like a grenade had gone off inside of my body. And uh, that's when I knew probably (laughs) it was not just like bad sushi or something that I was actually on my way to the afterlife. We'll we'll let the listeners rate our ouchies. I thought of a worse one, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say it just for sake of time. So I'll just go with No, the say it. Uh, once I played mud volleyball and someone threw a ball of mud and hit me right in the eye, and it somehow worked its way under my contact lens. Uh, and when I got home, it started hurting really bad, and the pain just got worse and worse and worse to where I was, like, writhing on the ground. And I couldn't take my contact lens out. for I, like, couldn't open my eye long enough to get my lens out because the pain was so intense. And it just was worse and worse and worse. And finally, I had to call an optometrist and go to like an emergency appointment at like midnight. And he managed to like dull the pain and then get my eye open and peeled my contact out. And he said that he had to pull like 20 or 30 little shards of dirt. And like, oh my gosh. he said they looked like little shards of glass out of my eye with little tweezers, just like microscopic ones. And it, it was awful. Yeah. It hurts so bad. I don't yeah. like that. Ouch. All right. And then one more. Seth asks, what is your favorite food that is also food for a wild animal? So not like a not like dumpster, like people yeah. food, but like what's your elk. favorite food? Mine's pick. elk. I'm going to go with blackberries. I love me I'm gonna go good blackberries. Yeah, I'm going to go a backstrap elk steak with some morel mushrooms i find and some wild onion mixed with it then maybe like a little huckleberry Huckleberry sauce on top yeah yeah (laughs) all right that's a good pick jeff wins that was like five foods but whatever not well we can (laughs) i mean it's the whole cake and ice cream argument i'm preparing it for (laughs) that way though all right well thanks for the questions guys those are some great questions yeah yeah thanks so much you're welcome all right everyone well i hope you enjoyed this interesting episode of we had news we had a story from a a a new friend uh we had some facts we had questions we had all sorts of stuff in this episode we have fun boy did we boy did we have fun that's the main thing we had was fun (laughs) 
right? Yeah, I guess. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for all your encouragement. Thanks especially to all you subscribers on Patreon and on our Grizz Club on Apple's. Apple. Apples? On On Apples. apples. (laughs) (laughs) And if you feel like writing us a nice review, go ahead and write us a nice review. You can Mm -hmm. rate us on Spotify. You can write us a nice review on on Apple. If you don't want to write us a nice review, then don't write one. Write us a mean one. No, don't. (laughs) It'll hurt Jeff's feelings. Yeah, it does. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. We love you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye. Whether you're in a relationship, single, or recently heartbroken, you could be navigating some tough stuff. And it really can be challenging to do this on your own. We all need help when it comes to our relationships, very specifically, our love lives. I'm Jillian, and each week on my podcast, Jillian on Love, I share skills on how to strengthen our relationships, how to build a stronger sense of self, and how to heal heartbreak and choose better partners. Learn how to start making change today and search for Jillian on Love wherever you're listening now.